Uh, how are you doing out there, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of FNI Rap Chat, Ireland's uh, film and TV industry podcast with myself, Paul Butler Lennox. Uh, you're all very welcome along. It's great to have you. Uh, massive thanks to everybody who's been sharing, uh, uh, Instagramming, posting, all that type of social media, new technology, fandangle stuff. We really appreciate it. Uh, um, and and also also a massive shout out to our sponsors, uh, Film Equipment Store slash Hire, who've been just really incredible over the last kind of couple of years, helping us out uh, on a number of different levels. And uh, also Wildcard Distribution, who are sound. So fair play to you for uh, for for supporting us and giving us a pat on the back and a kick up the air sometimes as well, which is really important. So thank you for that. Uh, also, thank you to everybody who ca- who came to our last couple of events, our Homeless Initiative 2020 Vision, uh, where we made over 25 short films with no money. And the winner of that uh, screened at the Dublin Film Festival uh, on Saturday the 29th before Street Leagues. Uh, Street Leagues is the, uh, is the feature doc by Matthew Toman and Daniel Holmes. Um, uh, about the uh, Homeless World Cup that uh, Colin Farrell contributed to. So we're delighted to show in tandem before that and back up that incredible, uh, important piece of work. So thank you very much for that. As always, if you'd like to support F&I Rap Chat, please head on over to www.buymeacoffee.com and, uh, yeah, buy us a coffee, uh, two sugars and a drop of milk, and we shall reciprocate if we see it in a coffee shop around town. So... Today, uh, as part of our collaboration with the uh, Virgin Media Dublin International Film Festival, it's quite a mouthful, but a very important one, uh, uh, we have, uh, we're joined by some uh, two very, very important filmmakers uh, in terms of uh, their catalogue of work uh, over the years, uh, um, theatre pr- practitioners initially, creatives, uh, interactive artists, cross-media artists, short filmmakers, uh, and feature makers uh, (laughs) over the last 20 years, just uh, dipping their toe on many, many, many creative uh, ventures. Uh, 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 Joan Christine from Desperate Optimists. Hello, and a very good morning. Hello, Paul. Thank you. Thank you for having us on. How are you doing? Welcome back. Thank you. It's cold. It's four degrees. I went to Stephen's Green this morning. And I was going around thinking, ooh, this is a bit shitty. <laughs> but nice. It was nice. Uh, it was how, good. How, do, you, do you come back often or not as often as you'd like? Or? Over the years, we've come back very often, Paul. Yeah. I mean, it, it, beca- it became a commute, I guess, once Ryan there really got on the scene. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or it felt like a commute. And when we moved to East London, we're not that far away from Stansted Airport. So it was so easy to go back and forth. Now, in the last year or so, we haven't gone home as often. Um, and that's just practical stuff. Like, we've got a daughter, she was doing her GCSEs, all those kind of things get in the way. Yeah. But um, I never feel I'm very far away from Dublin. It feels very near. Yeah. Do you feel very Irish still abroad? Because you've been there a long time, right? We have been there 30, yeah, 32. So now, technically, we've been in the UK longer than... Oh, longer. So we left when I left when I was twenty-five. Wow. Yeah, I was twenty, <coughs> twenty-two. 
So, but I, th- I think it's, it is that, as Christine says, the back and forth. I mean, sometimes we'll be back every month when we were filming the current feature film. We were here for a couple of months living here. Um, so I, I do think we, we actually are working on a documentary, a follow-up to this other documentary we made about three years ago, mm-hmm. where we're actually asking that question uh, because of Brexit. Like, is this now the place that we want to live Mm-hmm. And would we re-engage with living in Ireland again? Mm-hmm. Um, and that—that that is a serious question that we'd be asking. Our daughter uh, wouldn't doesn't much have anything to do with it. She thinks it's a documentary really, or Ireland. In, 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 <laughs> well, she, the documentary she'd be part of because she's part of it. Because if we did move back to Ireland, you know, she'd be coming with us. So she has to be part of that process. Right. So, but she, you know, where we grew up in Finglas, when she walks around suburbia, she thinks, God, this is so boring. And so you think, yeah, but okay, just keep an open mind. Uh, <laughs> because in East London, of course, it's very, it's very different. And, uh, yeah. you know, so it, it'll be a big ask. But we actually are asking that question at the moment. So it's very uh, relevant to us right now. Okay, so you're going to move back to Finglas. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think I, my I, mum and dad are from Finglas. So. I'm not even sure if we can afford Finglas. No, yeah, no, yeah. we can. It's crazy. Yeah, like, it I mean, crazy. it's gone absolutely ludicrous. Mm. Like, yeah. deeply, deeply troubling. Yeah. We uh, it just so many creatives I know, filmmakers, filmmakers with reasonably good credits and mm. who work mm. to a degree have quite literally had to up sticks mm. and move an hour and a half commute to Dublin. Yeah. yeah. And and to Berlin or anywhere where it's cheaper and come back for writing gigs or whatever it may be. Um, so from your perspective, uh, have you noticed changes in Ireland over the years, for the better or worse? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously we've noticed um, changes, lo- lots of changes. I mean, we left in the 80s, mm-hmm. and th- there's changes that we've witnessed and experienced those changes in the UK, and we've... Kind of seen changes in Ireland from the you know the sidelines, and then um, obviously we engage a lot with the with the news and try to keep up to speed with what's going on. Yeah. Um, I feel um, very optimistic about Ireland. I feel there's been a lot of progressive change, which yeah. had to happen. Um, it was a long time in coming, um, but it, I mean, when we first left Ireland, you couldn't openly buy condoms. There were no condoms available. For example, in public spaces, I remember the Project Arts Centre, I think I've got this right, had the first condom machine oh, wow. okay. um, installed. And this is when it was still not legal. So and that was in the, you know, the grip of the whole AIDS epidemic. So, wow. you know, that was a long time ago, Ireland back in the 80s. So it, it, change was inevitable. But I think what's very reassuring about the changes that have happened in Ireland is how um, there there has been this desire for the change. People haven't been beaten into submission mm-hmm. and a lot of the change has happened because um, people have shared stories and narratives, personal stuff. I think the UK could have learned a lot from Ireland <laughs> in the last few years. Well, in the last six months Ireland, in particular. Yeah, 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 like the UK. I mean, well, the last three years, since whatever, since the referendum, the Brexit referendum, it feels like there's this big push back in the UK to, um, you know, not a place that I feel very comfortable with and I don't feel comfortable living there anymore. Mm. Um, But then we live in London, it's different. Well, it's a country to itself, isn't it, in a lot of ways? Yeah, it's not really part of the rest of the country, it's true. It's like New York isn't quite like the Midwest, you know what I mean? It's its own Mm. entity. But I, I, I would caution, I mean, not notwithstanding the optimism, <laughs> I think it, it 
the rollback that you see in the UK can happen in Ireland if people aren't vigilant, if, if they don't keep moving forward, in other words, and keep pushing forward for mm. change, um, which you kind of feel that people are more emboldened and will get. But if they don't keep pushing and, and don't become or take their foot off the pe- pedal of being politically enlightened, mm. things can be, and you become complacent, things can begin to roll back. And so suddenly a kind of more right-wing agenda begins to take back over again. So mm. it's, 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 not a, it's not inevitable that it's going to go in one direction forever mm. and a day. So everybody needs to keep an eye on it and be vigilant and keep progressing forward yeah. and making sure that, you know. I, d- I just think for young people, there's a lot of kind of general confusion as to what is right now, uh, insofar as the the far right obviously is on, you, you know, is, is manifesting itself across Europe and Austria, other places, the states. And we take Ireland is in that unique position insofar as our neighbours are obviously the UK and and the US. So we kind of take our lead from the states, but now we're kind of all simultaneously disgusted with <laughs> with the states, but then also the UK. And then the other side of that is we've gone so far left in some to some degree that a lot of people are quite, especially young people, they're muddled in terms of their you know own morality about these issues. And when where do you you know obviously as filmmakers you're observational filmmakers and you try to give a I suppose an objective uh, version of events, but where, uh, from a from a film a filmmaking point of view, you obviously try to give you know as, as wide a spectrum and as honest an account of these events. But are we like at what point should be should it be a case of young people kind of going with their gut and go, well, I'm decent. I you know come from a place of empathy and and warmth and engagement. Because as wonderful as it is, all the, all of these you know new political ideas and stuff, it's so contradicting. I mean, especially as parents, as a as a young teenager, like what do you say to a to to a young girl about where to land on these issues? Well, we just this morning we were talking uh, about apparently the upsurge in rape of from young men in Ireland and girls, yeah. and we're wondering. What's happening there? And because I, I, we were talking to this woman from Mumbai Film Festival yesterday, okay. and I said to Christian, in India, because we know that's a fact in India, but we were then wondering, oh no, so in Ireland, so what's happening in terms of sexual politics and sexual identity, what's happening? Now, I don't know how you speak to that, and I don't know why that's happening or why there's an upsurge in that. Um, I, I, so that's now I need to do a little bit of uh, research and asking people what's what's happening on this, yeah. what's going on that something like a virus mm-hmm. can begin to come up and it sweeps through the body politic for how long, mm-hmm. and, and so something's gone wrong there. Mm-hmm. Something's gone wrong with those young men, who and, and we can kind of sense that the internet may be playing a role in that, but then this phenomenon. I have no clue, and yeah. that surprised me. I, yeah, it's um, it, it's very complicated. The the thing that I would say, and I think it's apparent, maybe I don't have to say, but I should, is that we talk to our daughter. She's seventeen. We can talk about anything. So there's a big change, and that's a that's something that we all have on our side. Mm-hmm. That relationships between parents and children has changed. There was a lot of silence <laughs> back in the day about lots of subjects, lots of putting your head in the sand. Um, you know, turning your back, closing uh, your ears. Yeah, a lot of talk to your mother about that, talk yeah. to your father about that. And then also abuses that communities knew that were going on. I mean, yeah. we've, we've all 
been the Netflix series. <laughs> we just watched The Keepers recently. The series on Netflix. We've all seen the movies. We've all, you know, read the news stories. It's all out there. Um, and now things are different because we talk to our kids. Well, I'm saying we, they're all we, but there is a much more openness and um, and the relationships between parents and children has moved on and changed. So that's a really important thing. And my feeling is that you just keep talking. I guess I've got this niggling worry that there's a lot of focus, obviously, through Me Too and lots of campaigns around the world, which I'm times up, which are really, really important, uh, incredibly important and, you know, game changing. But, you know, we must keep an eye on young boys because we talk a lot at home, you know, about there's another, you know, fucking story about, you know, a man, you know, who can't keep his aggression and a sense of entitlement, you know, to himself and you know, is, you know, more than willing to impose himself on, you know, some girl or whatever. So there's loads of stories and we talk about it all the time. But, you know, there are, Molly's got lots of young boyfriends, teenagers. So what are we doing? I think we do have a real responsibility and we can't take our eye off that ball. We need, there needs to be um, a real concerted effort to um, educate, not yeah, in a absolutely. preaching from, way. From grassroots a, level, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Really bringing it right back and talking to these kids. See, another issue, because I have nephews in around the age of 12, 13, and kind of comes up, boys, now, as awkward as it is to interact with girls at that age, but maybe there's a little bit of, well, it's hard enough. What's right, what's wrong, mm. you know? So the more education in terms of, well, that's okay, and this is okay. And, and it's not in all schools. I mean, in particularly like Christian Buddha schools, which I went to, didn't come up. No, there was no girls there, mm. <laughs> you know, but you went to these discos and, you know, like, I, I, I think it's, it, it's a, it's a, it should be a cross kind of sex initiative on a broader level. Even And, and I would even say going back to the, because kids obviously are, more active, a little bit younger, perhaps, than they were before. And they need to talk about these things. What's right? What's wrong? What's not okay? Mm. No means no, obviously, which comes up. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about later. Mm. I'm just going to take it right back yeah. just uh, very quickly, and we'll get to the film a little bit later. Tell us a little bit about your kind of uh, first forays into uh, performance, generally speaking, um, maybe as teenagers and stuff. <clears throat> and b- before I... Do that. Just a little thing that we can roll back later on when you talk about the you being objective and trying to be a. We don't in our film work. We're trying to be as subjective as possible. <laughs> but we'll come back to that later. Uh, and in a way, it's it's kind of useful in fiction uh, to take a, a polemical or provocative position mm-hmm. and, and push it out to the edge just to see where that might land. But we, as it's you great say, cinema we, as well. We, we, we'll, uh, yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to. You know, that was an equally balanced film. I mean, this isn't uh, yeah. uh, this isn't a talk show and a, a you know political station or something. So uh, we're not, we don't have a duty to do that. It's not like uh, I don't know the BBC or the RTE probably have a, a charter where they need to do that. No, they have agendas in the RTE anyway. Well, and, and, and the BBC and the BBC and the ar- artists don't have a duty to do that. Mm. However, they have a duty to take a position and to highlight certain things. But going back to your question, I think for us, an important thing for me, I'll talk about me, an important moment for me in, in the road to uh, becoming a filmmaker, as, we, as I, I currently am, started in the first 
job I got in a factory in Finglas <laughs> in 1981. And you go into work. This was like an American co- company, computer company. So it was wow. assembly line work, basically assembling parts for a, a big mainframe printer. And you do that work every day, week after week. And you kind of see how you feel. And you notice at the end of the week, you really just want to get drunk. <laughs> and you're spending nearly all your wages just getting off your face. Or I did. And actually, that wasn't... After a while, you're thinking, hang on. I'm, I'm doing that because this week was so bad that I'm spending 40... And I'm so resentful having to give over 40 hours of the week to something I hate. Um, now, of course, you've done your leaving cert. By then, career guidance uh, was was more like a some seedy affair with the De La Salle brother. It was not much career guidance. Mm. So it was it was strange career guidance, shall we say. So that was one thing. Um, and so you, but no one's actually helping you to focus on what you want to do with your it life. It didn't exist. It didn't exist. You had to find it. Yeah. And so one way to find it is to do a shit job. And then if you can handle that and cope with that, as many people do or have to, mm-hmm. um, good for you. And that, that's, a, that's fine. But if there's something else eating away inside you and you're becoming actually quite unhealthy, mentally and physically, mm-hmm. you need to find something. Now, what is that? And that there begins the first uh, question. Mm. If, if I'm not happy doing this, what will I be happy doing? And so I need to go on a journey to do that. And so slowly you begin to, for me, it was to give, you know, go home one day to my dad and say, you know, oh, yeah, by the way, I've given up the job and I'm, I'm moving out into a flat in Rathmines and I'm joining a band. Yo, what? And he says, <laughs> and he, he's from Kerry. He went, you fucking idiot, you. And off I went, and it was the best thing that I ever did. Now, of course, I'm 19 going on 20 at this point. Okay. I must have looked like a you know, total tool to him. Were you mod? Were you no, mod? no, not, nothing. No, maybe a little, Punk you know, we were, no, jazz, okay. jazz funk. We thought we were Steely Dan, but actually we were <laughs> rubbish, really rubbish. But it was just an opportunity, basically, uh, to hang out and to explore the stuff that you might have done a little bit earlier now, but there was just no way of doing it. So you had to do it uh, at some point. And I think that's how that begins. There's something that comes from someplace that pulls you in a certain direction where you have to write or paint or play an instrument. Mm. And everybody was in a band back then. Mm. I'm, I'm, I think filmmaking is probably, you know, up there now with trying to be a musician. Mm. It was inaccessible. You couldn't yeah. do it. There, yeah. there was no tools that, to do it. So people are drawn to it. Why are some people drawn to it, to be creative? Mm. I think most people are, have desires to be creative and do, even if they hold down that job, will mm. find themselves doing a hobby, which will be a creative. It's an, it's mm. an in, in, innate, I'm, I'm waffling yeah. on here, no, but no, it's an no, innate no, no, human no. But desire. I was thinking, Joe, that back, back in the day, when, in the 80s, the early 80s, when we were leaving school, um, so the, uh, the anxiety wasn't there. I mean, there might have been a little bit of anxiety. Am I going to get a job? But you take a job anywhere. Um, and, you know, well, I had loads of craft jobs as well, um, badly paid and with no future, no, no prospect. But you did a job as a means to an end as well, just have money. Um, 
But I think there's a lot of anxiety today that we certainly didn't experience. There was something kind of liberating and giddy. There was a lot of young people, a lot of unemployment Mm -hmm. and a lot of people leaving the country, emigration. But now I think now when I look at our daughter, the anxiety that she feels and the pressure she's under at her age and because everything has changed. She says, you just will never understand me and my experience because your experience was so different. You never had to experience, you know what I'm going through at this age and all the pressure. And it's true. It, is, it was it, kind of a great so time different. to grow up. It is so yeah. different. There though. was no jobs, no prospects, nothing going on, but there was such an energy. And uh, uh, people felt, well, this is me going back all those years to the 80s. It was exciting, really exciting, the the atmosphere, the landscape. Well, the, I suppose the, the idea of community, and look, we're kind of all fucked. Yeah. <laughs> you oh, know, you know, and, and um, that kind of build a village together yeah. type of attitude. And, you know, if you manage to pull yourself out of that mire, particularly in certain areas in the north side and obviously in the south side as well. I mean, it just wasn't wasn't a thing. I mean, even when I was starting out to be an actor, I was laughed at. I was quite literally laughed at in school, like a career guidance thing. Yeah, I went in for a bit. I was already doing plays for three or four years. So I like fifth, sixth year up to leave, and I, I knew what I wanted to do, so I didn't give a shit. Mm. But I went in, and I was like, I want to be an actor. And he goes, that won't happen. It's the first thing he said to me. Mm. That won't happen. Mm. It just shows how things have changed. Sure. Which is incredible. Well, I, I think it, this next point, that we had worked for a number of years with the Dublin U Theatre, directing things there. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first gig, so to speak, was assisting Eilish Mullen, from the W Theatre, and Eilish was a wonderful woman, and I learned a lot from her. <laughs> and uh, and Aidan Gillen, who's in our current film, he was also at the DYT there. He was obviously a bit younger than me. And we loved it and learned a lot. Um, but at some point, because everything is sort of very intuitive and you're reading lots of books, uh, we kind of felt going to do a degree would be helpful. And I remember talking to somebody about going to England to do a degree in four-year degree in writing for performance, and that would include theatre, mainly theatre, but it could include other forms as well. But And this person said, you know, why are you going away to study something like that? Because you either have it or you don't have it. And it, it, it was a shocking, uh, you know, you either have a gift or you don't have a gift, as if it's something you can't develop. Or that's God-given. Or it's God-given. Like, like so Lionel Messi never trains, presumably, or no great footballer has ever trained never looks after their uh, nutrition. It's all, they either have it or they don't have it. They just turn up and do it. They just turn up and do it. And we know that's rubbish. And any actor, even Brando studied uh, acting. Mm. So this kind of uh, myth, you know, the the myth of what it is and what it isn't, of course, is is, that's all it is. And so that was important for us to kind of formally, um, because in a sense, you begin to hang out with other people who do have degrees, mm-hmm. because anybody in the arts often, certainly in film, comes from a much wealthier background than we grew up with. Mm-hmm. And so they can afford to dream and uh, pursue their dreams. Mm-hmm. If your back is against the wall and you need to pay the rent and you don't have a private income, in quotes, you really will be cut out of that game. And so the lack of opportunity for w- people from working class backgrounds to enter into any creative activity, especially filmmaking, is greatly diminished. It is a middle class or upper class game. Mm. And so to try and break into that, and people underestimate that. I mean, even a simple thing, when you've written a script, 
and you give that script over to a film board, let's say the BFI, I'm going to name names here, you give it to BFI, and they take, as is their, as is their right, to a couple of months to look at that script and set up a meeting, and the meeting is another couple of months. Now, even something as simple as the tempo at which a film takes place, if you've come from a money background, that's fine, I can wait four months. I have the money to wait. If you don't have the money to wait, you've got to go and get a job. Mm-hmm. Now, once you get a job, you're not now writing that script. And mm-hmm. so invariably, your lack of uh, financial security keeps you away from pursuing the thing that you want to pursue. That's why I feel even something like uh, the, the tempo at which decisions get made militates against people from working class backgrounds. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. that, 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 that's a major factor. And most people that we went to study in uh, university with I would say say would have been middle class, but actually quite quite rangy quite as well. There was yeah. it was quite diverse, and that that was great for us because back then, of course, in the UK, you would get a grant. We didn't get a grant, but our fees were paid from because we're part of the e, EEC or EU. Mm-hmm. Um, but they got a grant. Now you don't. Now in the UK, you've got to pay ten thousand pounds a year. So that that's another problem. Um, so I I feel for us doing a degree. Um, when we were ready to do a degree, a degree in our mid-twenties, not when we left school, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Smoke dope is what I definitely wanted to do. Um, but I, I, And to find myself in the very old cliched uh, sense, because I didn't really have an opportunity when I was a young teenager, you know, lots of daydreaming, lots of reading books and having fantasies. But that's part of but being creative, yeah, watching movies, listening yeah. to music. Absolutely. When when we were leaving, uh, dreaming before we left college, the UK had this enterprise scheme that only ran for a couple of years, where people who'd been to art college could take a year. Um, I think you got something like ten thousand pounds a year after you'd left to try and get your career up and running. So it was like being on the dole, but being able to work as yeah. an artist. And I mean, I remember leaving school in the um, 80s and yes, I got a few jobs, but I also thought it was kind of my right to spend a period of time in the dole so that you could sort yourself out and live a little. Absolutely. And everybody did it. Um, and so it didn't last long for me because, you know, like, whenever you want to. <laughs> By the time we left college in the UK, that enterprise scheme had gone. Ah. It kind of arrived and then, you know, a few people got to benefit from it and then it disappeared. But actually, I think it is an absolutely brilliant thing. And brilliant thing to acknowledge that people who are working in the arts, yeah. it's difficult to get yourself up and running. Like, where do you start? Yeah, well, you you, start? You're, you're aware finally now that, this, you know, the social welfare is now once you declare yourself as an art or uh, an artist or a creative, a writer in any discipline, a musician, you're left alone to your own devices now. In, in Ireland. In Ireland now, finally. Yeah. After wow. totally reaping the rewards yeah. over the last, you know, uh, 200 years. You mean Irish culture Ar- and the, the country reaping the rewards of creative output? Of, of creative output, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, totally, you know, so you m- milking that tea to dry over yeah. the years. Yeah. You can sign on. You can sign on and you're left to your own devices. Right. See, that's why Ireland's much more progressive. When you have a smaller country mm-hmm. and it's come to, you know, it's, it's announced its independence in comparison to the UK, mm-hmm. uh, latterly, it can kind of go through much more rapid change socially, mm-hmm. whereas the UK, it's calcified somewhat in its institutions. Everything is very slow. It's glacial in terms of how it changes. You know, that's obviously part of its uh, might over the centuries. 
but it's very slow to change by comparison, and that's what's currently exciting about Ireland. Actually, yeah, yeah no, there's been an incredible social change. Yeah. Shall we talk about some films? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> come on, we? then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you're over for uh, VDIF, uh, DIF, uh, Virgin Media Dublin International Film Festival with uh, your film uh, Rose Plays Julie, which premiered at the uh, London Film Festival, the BFI. In October, was it October? October. Excited to take it home? Uh, yeah, very much. I mean, we we shot the film here, mm. so and it's the first feature film that we've made in Ireland. And mm. um, so it really feels like a, a homecoming for us to be able to bring it back to, you know, Dublin, where we made the film. And, um, you know, obviously, we've are, you need a lot of support when you're doing something stupid and crazy like this. And okay. we have a lot of support from our family and friends and... And they've kind of gone through the agony of trying to make this film with us in different ways over the years. So it's nice, really good for us and to come back and say, well, this is what it was all about. I mean, and I hope they like it. So we'll keep our fingers crossed. We'll know after tonight. Um, But at least it's we can all celebrate and together that this that we managed to get there in the end, because there's Mm -hmm. a lot of highs and lows and ups and downs along the way. So, you know, that that in itself is um is going to be very pleasurable but also i think our love of cinema was kind of formed in dublin going to the the pictures and taking flexi half days from civil service where i worked for a couple of years and meeting joe at lunchtime and you know going to see a double bill at the screen cinema or engaging with the dublin film festival and still some of my most memorable cinema going experiences happened through the dublin film festival for example, going to see Come and See. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know when that was, 1984, 85, I guess. Um, it was a, a really formative experience for me. So the Dublin Film Festival is kind of close to our heart, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's such a pleasure and an honour to be able to show our work here. So, you know, that's good. Does it mean more to show to a Dublin audience? Uh, an audience is an audience and, is an audience. And yeah, I think that yes, I think that's true. Uh, I think for us, for me, yes, it does have a little extra spice in there. Notwithstanding friends and family uh, who come along, because I, I don't know why it's important to share that uh, final product with our friends and family. But somehow, I, I think it is important. Well, you stop looking for approval at some point, don't you? Because yeah, you have to, and that's when you really take flight. It's like, I don't really care what my mother mm. thinks about this. I'm delighted if she likes it. But, yeah. but yeah. you know, and my yeah. friends, but I do it for me now. And if everybody else likes it, sure. great. No, we, I absolutely prefer when people like the work. Yeah. <laughs> of, of the two, <laughs> if I was to make a choice, I would go with that. If people don't like it, and my God, our theatre work in the 90s, there was enough uh, aggressive reaction to that. Divisive. Very divisive. I mean, the reviews would be, we had to kind of counsel the Project Art Centre staff at the time saying, you will get used to this. It's fine. (laughs) Fiat McAneil, I remember, got punched by an actor. What is this? This is not theatre. So, you know, whereas cinema actually, I think, is, a, is, is more conservative, actually, as an art form. If I compare it to music, visual art, or theatre, you see, or dance, you see much more uh, risks being taken in those art forms. Cinema, because of the money that's involved and the kind of world that it is, and it's seen as a... I mean, even some friends of ours see, their, when they go to the cinema, they see it as 
more in the entertainment sector of mm. things. But if they go to a gallery, they're asking them, wanting to be challenged. And you're saying to them, so why don't you want cinema to challenge you? Mm-hmm. But they don't. Mentally, they kind of, they, they see it a, a the bag of popcorn accompanying the experience, but they would never think of bringing a ba- bag of popcorn into a gallery. So it's just, there's an expectation. Now, that wasn't always the case, but it certainly has become the case. And therefore, when you're making uh, a film, I mean, yes, we when we're making the film, we're making something that we would like to see in the cinema. But really what we're trying to do is to make it for you, the audience, mm. and hope that you can connect with it and you can have a conversation about it. That's what we really are, are trying to do here. And so when somebody doesn't engage with it, uh, that's always a little disappointing. Yeah, but that's it, fine. It's not obsessing or mm-hmm. anything like that. I mean, I see films all the time that I don't like, so yeah. that's okay. Mm-hmm. But I see a lot that I do, and I much prefer the ones that I do. And I think about them often more. Um, so I think coming back for us to Dublin, yes, it, 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 there's just something extra about it. Um, <laughs> um, just in terms of, uh, I, I must say as well, a lot of your short form work is uh, floating around on YouTube and stuff as well, isn't it? On your on your mm-hmm. page. So if you're looking for an in- introduction to the guy's work, uh, check them out. Uh, just search for Desperate Optimist and, and, and subscribe. And Vimeo, as yeah, because well. our cha- uh, Desperate Optimist, I think, is our Vimeo. I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's it's probably under the name Desperate Optimist. And we've put where we've put most of our short films up. I don't think we've put them all up because you kind of get into a groove with it and then you get distracted and then you forget. Mm. But I think a, a number of them are up there. Yeah, the reason I'm saying is, you know, primarily a lot of our audiences, industry and young industry in particular, coming out. So kind of from an altruistic point of view, a lot of people come on and they talk about, um, you know, the snakes and ladders nature of what it is for them. And what we try to do is break down the wall between, you know, their their particular path at that moment and 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 filmmakers who are perceived to be doing well. And a common thing that comes up is that, you know, the stakes in the game change, obviously, slightly. But we're all dealing with the same shite, the mm. same rejection, the same, you know, abject rejection pretty regularly. So, which which segues nicely <laughs> into uh, how do you deal with, you know, it, with being knocked on the head for projects uh, or from <sighs> rejection in general? Uh, what do you... It's it's absolutely par for the course. I think actually, when when I think about rejection, I would think more not about being knocked on the head for a project at all, but the the longer tail of the journey of making a film. So and and it doesn't seem to stop. It certainly doesn't stop when you um you know when you when it's a wrap and you've stopped filming and mm. it doesn't stop at picture lock and it doesn't even stop when you've made the film. That's almost the beginning of the long road of rejection because, you know, you've, you've now got something that you need to try and get to an audience. Mm. And in an odd way, that can be the toughest part of it. And after our, we made our film, Mr. John, mm. I have to say, I found that incredibly difficult. The journey that we went on after we'd finished the film. Um, yes, it's a film that, you know, has got problems with it, but it's still a film that I'm pretty proud of. Um, and maybe I feel that I've got very tough skin, but somehow my skin got thinner after Mr. John and things bothered me more. So really? you learn along the way. And with Rose Pace Judy, I've got a very different attitude about the whole thing. We've had different experiences 
for different films. Our first film, Helen, mm. was a complete, um, you know, was festival two, two, triumph. Was it? Yeah. yeah, we went to loads of festivals. We had an amazing experience with it. We we're in competition. We won awards, and it's for such a small kind of community art project. It was incredible the journey it went on. Mr. John was certainly more um, sobering for us as an experience. So with Rose Plays, Judy, I feel very differently. I know we're on a journey. I know the, the landscape is more difficult than it was. There is a lot of rejection. And you have to sort out in your own head what you want for the film and where your priorities are and, you know, the journey you would like it to go on. And just stay focused on that and don't get thrown by, you know, what happens along the way. Um, but, you know, it's a it's a business full of rejection, uh, you know. On a number of occasions along the way trying to make our film, you know, it almost got totally derailed. So we know that experience, that experience, I think, would be pretty scary if you've spent a lot of time working on something and then it just falls apart um, because you have to try and rationalize things as you go along. And I guess the only thing that makes sense of all the time and the energy and the effort and the blood, sweat and tears is to actually make the film in the end. So I, I suppose it helps that, you know, you guys are together, um, both creatively, but also as partners. Yeah, I, I, I think in those moments, yeah. you can share that and mm. you can talk talk that through. Uh, I think if you were alone, um, so to speak, that would be more difficult. But I'm, I'm imagining even if you weren't in a collaboration with somebody, you may have a partner or hopefully a partner or some or some very close friend that can help you or support you to deal with that kind of rejection. Mm -hmm. We haven't actually experienced the rejection of working for on a project for a number of years for it actually not to happen. For it to fall apart. For it to fall yeah. apart. Now, that, that, that's not to say it can't happen to us. I'm sure it probably will at one point. But we do, anybody reading the history of uh, cinema will know of the story about this film that didn't get made yeah. and blah, blah, blah. So that's always there. So I would say to people, though, there is nothing as special as the debut feature. So if you are going to make a feature film or in the process of developing a feature film, take your time because you will have one shot to make a debut and one shot only. And you can really do a lot because there's so much uh, desire to see debuts. Mm. They have the most uh, pole, they've pole position to get mm. out there. Second or third feature is less interesting to people. So this, it's a different standard begins to apply. But a debut feature is given lots and lots of um, allowance. It's okay, but they're looking for something. We're talking about festival programmers or distributors. And so you can do a lot with a debut feature. So the worst thing you could do is to rush it and then it, for, for it not to be quite what you wanted. Mm. And so do take your time because... Make you know, some shorts, yeah. experiment. I, yeah. Well, do a lot of shorts yeah. if you can. Yeah. And yeah, but you're, you're never really alone anyway. I mean, we've worked with Samson Films on both Mr. John and Rose Plays Judy. So you go through the process with other people who are also incredibly committed to the work and committed and focused and trying to keep this thing moving forward. And so and David Collins and Reenoch and Owen from mm. Samson and everyone else who works there went on a journey with us as well. So I'd say, yes, we work together, but all filmmakers collaborate. You, you won't get through the development process and get close to going into production without being part of some kind of team. And mm. um, it's all built around that. So there's lots of people who share that journey with you along at different stages and in different ways along the way. But obviously, in terms of the, the overall arc of a film, you know, the production 
team that you work with, the producers, are obviously really vital and important. So I guess I'd add to what Joe's just said. Take your time and try and team up with people who you can work with and who really want to support you and help you to get there. Mm-hmm. It must be hard, that dichotomy of, of being belligerent enough to stick to your your vision and then the idea of... Now, I know that supplementary creatives that come on, producers, line producers, you know, and everybody else, they come and back up your idea, but it must be... At what point do you kind of... You never, I suppose, relinquish power along it, but it is very much a case, I would imagine, not someone who's directed a feature where you have to hire the best people to do the job and let them do the job. Is that, is that hard sometimes? No. I mean, that, that you want it. You, you want a really good director of photography and good sound recordists and the good, best good hair and makeup. Honor, and yeah. I mean, first ADs, you can do brilliant scheduling. And we've had experiences where people were not good at doing scheduling. And then you look at the ability to do a schedule will mean that you don't have enough time in that field to do that scene that day mm. because the run of the schedule didn't allow for it. So you've got to work so closely with the schedule and make sure that this schedule is the very best it can be because it's going to support you on the day mm. and, the, and the subsequent days. I mean, something like that, having a brilliant scheduler like Jules that we had on Rose Plays Julie. Mm-hmm. Jules, if you're listening... Thank you so much for all your great work. <laughs> but I think shout out to Jill. Yeah, shout out to Jill. Something like that is really important. Yeah. And, and and everything that we did when we were in Singapore working on Mr. John, they don't have great crew. Uh, As in depth of crew. They don't have many. Literally, the there's two sound recordists. There's two sound recordists in the entire country. There was. There I was. That's changed. I hope that's changed. But mm. at the time we were doing, there was two. And if you didn't get either of them. You may as well take out your microphone uh, and you know plug it into your iPhone, because but you do need brilliant sound recorders because yeah. you can't do it. You're you're directing. Well, you know, sound is obviously incredibly important. You yeah. get away with a shaky yeah. image, but if you yeah. bad sound, they're going to switch off yeah. within ten seconds. And, and these things are <clears throat> these things are critical, and they're trained. Mm-hmm. They're trained to do a good job, and you need them, and you need to get the very best you can afford. The very best, of course, will be in demand. Yeah. Of course they will. And your line producer, Kathleen, might as well go through the whole crew. Yeah, Kathleen, <laughs> if you want, I want to thank... Oh uh, How brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's why I think Chris and Joy, it's a collaborative art form and everybody will be doing their very, very best for the project, yeah. which is really that they're to do that. Mm-hmm. Great okay. to be part of a fantastic travelling circus then, I guess. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and feed them well. Feed and water them. Feed and water them. Feed them well. Absolutely great caterers. Yeah. Celtic soul Celtic food. Celtic soul food. Smart if you're listening. Anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah, I want to... Uh, uh, transport captain, do you want to give yeah, a shout yeah. <laughs> Um So, yeah, I suppose tell us a little bit about the, the about the film without giving too much away. Mm. Now this is your elevator pitch. Yeah. Um, Rose Place Judy is a film about a young woman Mm-hmm. And she's a veterinary student at um, a university. And this young woman has um, always wanted to find out who her birth parents are. So she's she's adopted. And she's in the process of very getting very close to tracing her mother. And when she does, her mother rejects her. So it's a kind of a rejection on top of a, a rejection. And she 
doesn't understand why and she um, <coughs> doesn't doesn't want to take no for an answer. So she pursues her mother um, despite the fact that her mother doesn't want to be pursued. And then um, at some stage, there is a revelation about who she is, um, the origins of um, her birth, um, which then drives her to her father, her birth father, the world of her birth father, where the, the film kind of changes and maybe shifts more into a revenge story. Um, and so really it's a, it's a story that at its heart is something that we've always been interested in, which is questions, inquiries into identity, who we are, what makes us who we are, mm -hmm. and also an interest that we had um, when we started to work on the film about looking at the impact of violence on people's lives. So not the act itself, but the impact maybe years down the road. The trauma later The trauma life. of, yes, yeah. um, violence. And, and so it's, I would say that we think about it as quite a kind of a Greek story. It's something that's set in motion. She, she um, heads off on a journey. She probably has ideas in her own mind about where the journey is going to lead her to. <coughs> and her ideas would have been very optimistic and positive, maybe romantic, although she's smart enough to know that that might not be the way it all works out. Um, but nothing could have prepared her for what actually the reality is. Um, and uh, yeah, that. so it's a kind of, there's elements of, I guess, thriller. We are calling it a psychological thriller because you know that seems right mm. but it's um it's it's also a ver very much a piece about as i said identity and and this character and the journey that she's on i mean let me just add into that that i i see it pretty much as a, a love story mm -hmm. between a mother mm -hmm. and a daughter at, yeah. its, at its core that's what it, it, this film is really a, a burgeoning love story it is and it begins and it develops, and that's the that's probably the central line through between in that relationship, that love story between a mother and a daughter, mm -hmm. and what that is about. However, that love story at its core is wrapped in something quite dark, yeah. and the love has got to find its way through that darkness. So I think it's the tension between those two things. Yeah, I have to say, just from my own perspective, I've seen a presser during the week, and I have to say, I was saying that the guy spoke at, very kindly spoke at our event we had last night but I was lucky enough to see a screener uh, that morning and I have to say that aesthetically the way it's shot and, and the pacing of that film is not something I've seen in an Irish film in a very long time to the point where I was totally engrossed with what was happening so I do have to say that it's coming out in May right yeah, here yeah. Uh, it's on general release here and also in the UK at the same time um, Take a chance if, I mean, if you're a filmmaker, Irish films, as, as good, we're getting a lot better in, over here at going to see Irish content. But make the effort to go and see this film in particular because, uh, it, I mean, if you consider yourself a real filmmaker, you enjoy tension, uh, proper pacing, proper storytelling, and really good performances by everybody uh, across the board. This is something you should go and see. Um yeah, one last thing. <coughs> Sorry, I have a bit of a cough all of a sudden. Um, yeah, yeah, I'll let my have a cough there. I'm going to end on something nice and awkward. Um, any tips for filmmakers starting out? Any kind of, uh, or what advice would you have given uh, from a film perspective? I know you didn't, you didn't uh, immediately land there from both of you. Um, 
what would you what advice would you give to yourself in terms of being a creative at 16 or 17 what would you say to yourself then well um i i would say take your time don't reveal your vision until you're you've you've really gone through it because as i say you will only get one chance at this and it would be such a shame to get your debut feature where you you invoke the image of a snake and a, and, and the ladder uh, you will only get one ladder like this uh, in, in your life with the debut, and so mm-hmm. se- seize it. I know they're at the Dublin Film Festival, they have this event, Meet the Programmers, and one of the programmers gave a quote about you, you need to work out your festival strategy, uh, even at the point of developing your story. And I, and I thought, no, you don't. You don't, don't need to worry about your festival strategy. The festival strategy is, does the festival like your film or not? Mm-hmm. So, and that's not a reflection of whether the film is good or not. That's just the festival. And festivals change. Festival directors, festival programmers, tastes change because they move in, they move out. So don't worry about festivals. You think about what you, who you are and what you want to say. So in that sense, you need, we began by talking about, uh, I don't know, we had a panoptic view of Irish culture. Keep looking around you. Notice what you notice. Keep engaging with the social mores, the political landscape, mm-hmm. but also really examine yourself closely and mm-hmm. try to work out what your relationship is between those two things and dive deep into that world of who you are because that, that ultimately is the thing that will sustain you and what will make your vision unique. So you need to do some serious engagement mm-hmm. with yourself and do not worry about what will people think of this story? It doesn't matter. Yeah. What do you What do you feel? Yeah, yeah. Your own artistic vision always stick to it. engage yeah. with the world. Yeah. Got to engage with the world. world. Yeah. And I'd say dive into the world of cinema. And I don't mm-hmm. think that that happens in the way that it should anymore. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of content that's current and that comes out week after week. And so, and also the way um, film is curated across all the platforms and in you know the platforms that people engage with content on. Um, you would think that there was no cinema from 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 years ago. You you need to stay close to the art form as well and mm-hmm. dive into it because you might be very surprised at all the work out there that's been made in different decades by different filmmakers. And there's nothing that hasn't in a way been done before. And there's there's such a richness to experience and to understand the art form that you're, um, you know, in love with and passionate about and want to give yourself over to. Um, you know, we have a juicy, I think, to young people to introduce them to the full range of cinema, world cinema, you Absolutely. know, black and white movies, silent movies, whatever. We just have to do it or else the art form itself, I think, is in real kind of danger. There'll be a crisis in the art form of um, cinema. And there is pressure on young people to achieve. And I would say from myself and Joe's perspective from our experience we started to make films per se when i was 37 you were i was probably 38 <laughs> you were 39 <laughs> God, you were 40 actually so as joe says you're not in russia um a tale i would say there's a a film that's been very successful and i know it was screened here as well small independent film called bait by a british filmmaker called mark jenkin and mark um you know has been making films for 20 years doing his own thing um, and, you know, making short films, engaging with the art form, Midland films. There is huge pressure to, you know, to do something now and to mm. know what you want to be now and to, you know, to be successful. But 
you don't have to approach it that way. And I think that Joe's advice was very sound. Just take your time, mm. really take your time. And although that brings us back to what you're saying earlier about how, well, how can I afford to take my time? I don't know. There's a struggle there. There's something to be sorted, some kind of a contradiction or whatever. Take your time and yet it's an expensive world hanging well, out. You, you know, you could be adopted and your adopted, you know, your real parents are very rich and therefore the, this, the circle is complete. Yeah. <laughs> or, or dealing or dealing drugs which is what we did literally when I when I moved into the flat with these bunch of guys of course the idea that you move into a flat your own flat or your own bedroom there was three of us in the one bedroom that was the kind of flat that we were in yeah but we there was one guy and he was a, I'm thinking hang on we're not producing much music here but we're dealing a lot of dope and so I I'm think you're going to talk about the end of crimes Oh, yeah. And the other thing is that the, <laughs> they had units and they, they're still going yeah, where yeah. you give your body over. It was out in St. James's Hospital where the main endocrine units were. So you do a drug trial for about a week or two and you get paid. So they're sampling a new antidote to whatever or a new cure for this, that or the other or the effects of X, Y and Z. And you're a human guinea pig. Medical students do this all the time, yeah. and you're given whatever eighty quid a day. Just a disclaimer: If you do see Joe while he's here, ignore the third eye he has. But I went, I went out to do an endocrine. Did you? I did, but I didn't get accepted. <laughs> and so there was like there was around thirty people in the room, this porta cabinet, and we're talking like 1983 or something like that, 94. And we all went out and half of, the, half of the people were chosen and they were going to spend a week or two in St. Kevin's uh, Hospital. Or tell now me, it was tell me you got Kansas. 20 quid out of it. No, no. So then I, I went away <laughs> thinking, oh, thank God I didn't have to get chosen for that. <sighs> so, but that was a, another cheap way of, it was like the old days of giving blood and you get a pint of Guinness out of which they stopped, obviously. Mm. But it, it, it you know, that's that. Is, that is a real problem. Okay, that is a contradiction. When I say take your time, and of course you've got to earn yeah, a living, yeah. but somehow you've got to try and balance that yeah. because if you rush it, rush it, and you make the film and it's not what you want, well then you, then it will be a complete waste of time. So I don't know how you balance those things. Yes, maybe you do have to get a, a part-time job or a job and try and do that. Uh, at night or you have to do the writing in, in the holiday times or the, the gaps of time that you've got. You have to balance that. And we've all been there and we've all done that. But the very most important thing is to take your time and try and develop a vision uh, behind it. That, develop that's, a style. And that's the biggest, that's the biggest prize in, in, in all of that, I think. Mm. Um, I can't believe I talked about that dealing I, I think it's amazing. Idea. See, these are the gems. People drop them all the time. It's great. That's yeah, why yeah. people listen. <laughs> yeah, but I, like I was done for it as well. <laughs> One night, I remember there were seven police turned up at our flat door and two detectives, plainclothes detectives. And the paddy was pulled in and first. They, and they, <laughs> they turned up on the wrong day. Had they turned up the following day, yeah. we would have been in big trouble. Jeez. But they turned up the day before, whatever tip they got. And, uh, oh boy. It was it was close. <laughs> we were a mess. We didn't know what we were doing. Okay, uh, so just to wrap up, uh, the movie's out in May, and is it a nationwide release? Or I, I, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, can people access your other long form work? Can they buy uh, some of your other yeah, stuff? Or is it iTunes, streaming also? Um, Amazon, yeah. um, you know, for Helen and. Mr. John as well. Further Beyond is also on Amazon, both mm -hmm. in Amazon UK and Amazon US. 
and other pl- other places. But yeah. yeah, online definitely you can rent. Yeah, so you know, if if you're not familiar with, with the guy's work, do check it out. Do try new, you know, new, different forms of cinema, and engage because uh, yeah. That they make some fantastic material. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, William, for coming on. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you.